Welcome, boys and girls, to the Gathering Strength Podcast, the podcast that explores the untapped power within each of us. I'm your host, Ruby Root, and today we're going to dive into the transformative pages of Malcolm Gladwell's captivating masterpiece, David and Goliath. If you don't know who Malcolm Gladwell is, you're going to learn today. If you don't know who David and Goliath is, you go and learn today. So bust out your writing utensil, whether it is a marker, a crayon, some sidewalk chalk. Hey, while you're at it, dust off that Lisa Frank stationery pad because, man, you go and learn today. In this thought-provoking book, Malcolm Gladwell, he's going to unveil the remarkable stories of underdogs who triumph against all odds. And you know what, when you think about it, we're all underdogs in some realm. Onward into this book. So come along with me and join me as we embark on a journey through the pages of David and Goliath. That is the name of Malcolm Gladwell's book. I recently just finished listening to it. It's about eight hours long. So there is the sentiment that you can go to school and not receive an education and you can receive an education and not go to school. That, that sentiment resonates with me because I've learned so much more through the school of hard knocks than I ever did through traditional schooling. Anywho, uh, let's see, within that book, David and Goliath, um, Malcolm Gladwell explores the tales of ordinary individuals who defied expectations, harnessed their unique advantages, and achieved extraordinary victories. Through captivating narratives and profound insights, Malcolm Gladwell unlocks the secrets of resilience, courage, and innovation. Man, and isn't that one of the main messages in my podcast? Uh, resilience, courage, and innovation. Hey, you know, when you innovate something, that means you take on new knowledge and you create something that was not existing before, such as a newer version of yourself. That person is waiting to come into fruition, but in order to innovate on yourself, you're going to have to sort everything out. So once again, hey, get ready to be inspired and empowered as we uncover the timeless lessons hidden within David and Goliath. Welcome to the Gathering Strength. So stay tuned for our episode, and we're going to dive into the myth of giants, and discover how the underdog can rise to new heights. Until then, remember strength isn't always measured by size. It's the spirit that fuels the triumph. It's not about the size of the dog that's in the fight. It's about the size of the fight that's in the dog. So I have heard this David and Goliath story since day one as as I was a little kid. I am a Christian, and the Christianity Religious Foundation has been within my family for as long as I can remember. And one of the stories that I learned was David and Goliath. And, you know, primarily, as I knew it before, was that Goliath was this big giant, right? A humongous man, a big, scary guy. And... David was just a little shepherd boy and God gave 
gave David courage and with the courage and power through God, David was able to vanquish the giant they called Goliath. Now that is an ancient biblical tale that is believed to have originated around 3,000 years ago. So isn't it incredible how a story can last 3,000 years? Incredible. Uh, it is found in the Old Testament of the Bible, specifically in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. The story recounts the legendary battle between the young shepherd David and the formidable Philistine warrior Goliath. This tale has endured for centuries and continues to be widely known and referenced in various cultural and literary contexts. Now, the underlying sentiment that I have always learned it to be was hey you need to be courageous and if you pray for courage you will be granted courage you know ultimately you know you can do anything through God and you know that is a great piece of advice to believe in a source of power that is outside of yourself that is un unbeatable and if you step into any realm or environment or problem or face any adversity and you believe that the divine spirit is going to be working through you, man, that's a fire in the eye of a person that's, hey, that's when that indomitable spirit comes, comes out and manifests itself to burn even, even hotter. So that was the realm that I learned it in, but hey, you know, there's people out here like Malcolm Gladwell who dig a little bit deeper and convey this story in an asset that is, or in a way that produces a whole other type of gem. So hey, you gonna learn today. So within the first chapter, uh, Malcolm Gladwell he talks about the advantages of disadvantages and the disadvantages of advantages. So while, you know, this book, it was eight hours long and I, I enjoy his, his writing. He was the narrator for this book. You know, I'm not going to get too in-depth. The primary objective for this book is to sow a little seed into perhaps some new thoughts that you never thunk before. Maybe you, this might even entice you to go out and buy his book. And in which case, it'll just only benefit you. Essentially, it replaces your lower level thoughts because hey, when it comes to a brilliant and bright thinker and author, his thoughts are more organized than mine and yours. And Essentially, we can replace our unsophisticated thoughts with thoughts of a brilliant thinker such as Malcolm Gladwell. That's one of the advantages of reading. So, onward into that book. So, let's see. Gladwell challenges our perceptions of what it means to have an advantage or a disadvantage. He introduces the idea of an inverted U-curve to explain that there is a point where having too much of an advantage can actually become a disadvantage. I am going to be talking mainly about that David and Goliath 
terrible that he titled his book. But if I can digress, he also talks about how there is this father who has too much money. And we've all heard the adage, more money, more problems. And there is a study, a scientific study that proves that a human's happiness does not increase past $75,000. Now, once you start to make more than $75,000, your happiness doesn't improve. You just get nicer things. You're not more happier. So what that says to me is, well, one, go ahead and do do that research for yourself. You know, go on to Google and Hey, don't take my word for it. Don't take Malcolm Gladwell's word for it. Do some, do your own digging. So let's just believe that $75,000, that, that is all you need to survive because making more is not going to make you any happier. Now, hey, guess what? You don't need to work any more overtime. You don't need to sacrifice any more of your health. You don't need to you know buy any more things that you don't need there is the hedonic adaptation that your boy ruby Rube made a podcast about and perhaps if you learn about the hedonic adaptation and how your happiness does not increase after you make seventy-five thousand dollars or more hey maybe we can focus on things that that you can't buy like creating a relationship with your friends or your family uh, investing that time in which you would have been trying to get more money to buy another set of Gucci socks or a snakeskin belt rather than working for more things maybe you can work on your mindset and go enjoy just a sunny day at a park with a picnic maybe drinking a, a Sprite or a fizzy bubbly flavored water all that, you know, that stuff doesn't cost money. But a lot of people, they want to go out and get that brand new Tesla. They want to you know, get that motorhome, that boat, that RV. All those things are great. You know, I, I'm not saying to stop being ambitious. But at some point, you need to take inventory of yourself and sort yourself out. So that father, that uber-rich father that uh, Malcolm Gladwell speaks of in his book, that father worked to, let's see, he worked his way up to where he was extremely successful and he had a bunch of money. And now because he had so much money, it started to create problems for his children. Now when that rich dad, when he was younger, he knew the value of a dollar because he grew up with no money. So there was there was a story that that rich father told in the book and he recalls saving up and working to buy some basketball tickets. And the tickets that he was able to afford, they were up in the nosebleed section. And he thought to himself, hey, how would it feel to be down on the court side you know, just to be on, on the best of the best seats, rubbing elbows with LeBron James and Stephen Curry. Yeah, that, that would be would be cool, right? So that young kid was driven with his ambition 
and he parlayed his hard work all the way up into mansions, planes, Ferraris, jets, just a life of luxury, right? And now his kids, they were given that life of luxury. And now he's noticing that, hey, you know what? His kids, they don't have the ambition. They don't want to go out and get their license. They don't want to, you know, go out and make their own lunch. Why do that when you can just have everything brought to you? Essentially, that hardship that the father experienced and the desire to work his way up to get a little piece of the pie for himself to get a ticket courtside. Now his his kids, they have everything courtside. So that diminished their kids' ambition and capabilities and work ethic. And that is a problem that all these rich people face. Now, it's natural for us parents to want to give our kids everything. We don't want them to struggle. We don't want them to, you know, face the adversities that that we had. But adversity makes you stronger. Adversity makes you more resilient. Adversity unlocks the strengths and the hidden gems that will lie dormant if not, not put through the, the intensity of, of the fire that life can, can, can put to a, a particular individual. Essentially, when you have that golden spoon in your mouth from birth, it's hard to get out and find your own purpose because everything is given to you. Biggie Smalls, he said more money, more problems. And just because you get more money doesn't mean that your problems stop. Like I said, science shows that after $75,000, you do not get any happier. What that says to me is, hey, let's work with what we have and let's focus on the things that we can't buy because even the things that we do buy materialistically, those materialistic purchases and possessions, they can never fill even the tiniest little crack in our hearts or the tiniest hole in our souls. That's something that I experienced. While I am far from rich, there was a time where I was out, you know, balling out, buying this, buying that. And at the end of that, you know, splurging season in my life, I was like, man, I still feel empty. Ah! So what I had to go do was go look in the mirror Anyways, hey, back to this David and Goliath book. Let's go. So that story, David and Goliath. Within that book, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's book is called David and Goliath. And within that David and Goliath titled book, he talks about the story of David and Goliath. And that David and Goliath, it is a central metaphor throughout the whole book. Uh, Gladwell re-examines this ancient tale to shed light on the dynamics of underdogs and giants in various contexts. Gladwell challenges the traditional interpretation of David's victory as a miraculous triumph of the weak against the strong. He argues that David's apparent disadvantages 
such as his small stature and lack of armor, actually gave him unexpected advantages. David's nimbleness and expertise with the sling allowed him to exploit Goliath's vulnerabilities and defeat him. Through the David through the David and Goliath story, Gladwell explored the concept of desirable difficulties and the idea that perceived disadvantages can often be sources of strength and resilience. He goes on to present contemporary examples from different domains, including education, business, and social justice to illustrate how individuals and groups can leverage their apparent disadvantages to achieve remarkable outcomes. In essence, the David and Goliath story in the book serves as a metaphorical lens to examine the dynamics of power, courage, and unconventional strategies, encouraging readers to rethink their assumptions about strengths and weaknesses. Let's see, in the battle between David and Goliath, David, despite being the underdog, possessed several advantages that ultimately tipped the scales in his favor. Now, this is something that I didn't even think of, I didn't consider. I just thought it was the typical tale of the small guy beating the big guy. But, hey, it, there's some underlying nuances that Malcolm Gladwell, his brilliant and sophisticated mind, sheds some light to get you to think even more deeply about this 3,000-year-old tale. So, for example, um, let's see. First, David's agility and speed were his greatest assets. Goliath, a giant clad in heavy armor, was slow and cumbersome. In contrast, David was nimble and swift, allowing him to evade Goliath's attacks and strike with precision. His smaller size and quick movements made him a difficult target to hit. Secondly, David's expertise with the sling provided him with a significant advantage. He had honed his skills through years of practice and was capable of launching a stone with remarkable accuracy and force. Goliath, on the other hand, had no defense against a projectile attack from a distance. David's proficiency with the sling allowed him to engage Goliath from a safe distance minimizing the risk of close combat. Moreover, Goliath's arrogant and overconfident demeanor worked to David's advantage. Goliath expected a conventional battle, assuming that his size and strength alone would ensure victory. Yes, yeah, so Goliath, um, Goliath was in the military and he had a history of being like the fiercest warrior. So when you're in the army or the military, like there's rules, there's rules, you know, to engage, like there's, I don't know, there's etiquette, there's battle etiquette. And the way that they worked back then was one army sent out their biggest and baddest warrior and the other army was sent out their biggest and baddest warrior to, in order to prevent needless bloodshed and whoever won that army would be victorious and the rest of them would just surrender. So, being that Goliath came from that background and he had that fighting etiquette, 
David, he was just a shepherd boy. He didn't conform to any rules. He didn't abide by by that etiquette. He was just a shepherd. So he either just went against the status quo. He bucked the the, the traditions that previous battles would would fight or how they would fight. And he just picked up his sling. He went running at Goliath full speed with no armor. Meanwhile, Goliath is wearing hundreds of pounds worth of armor. He's slow, can barely even see. And what's his face? David just went up. Uh, he went up with his damn sling and shot him with a freaking, a freaking rock. Yeah, so imagine that scene before you where you have a big giant. He has his battle axe. He has his sword. He has his spear. He has his shield and his armor. And he's standing nine feet tall. And he's just slowly walking out, out, you know, into the middle of the battlefield. And he's calling out David. Goliath is calling out David. Let's see. uh, Let's get into the book. It says... Uh, then he took his staff in hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with this sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. The Philistine is Goliath. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with this shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with the sling and stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the the Philistine and killed him. If you were on Goliath's side, you were like, all right, we got Goliath. No one can beat us. And you're you're looking at to see who the other army is going to be sending over. And you just see a little shepherd boy. And you're like, what the heck? And then you see David running at him with the sling, loading it up, twirling his sling around his head. And then, boom, fired a rock right in his head and Goliath just falls over so the apparent advantages that Goliath had is one he's bigger he's much more battle hardened he has all this you know weaponry the skills the sword he has all that and then the disadvantage for for David is he's small and he has no sword no weapon and he has no armor, none of that. Now the disadvantages that Goliath had is that one, he's slow, he, he can barely walk, he can barely see. Now if they were gonna be fighting, you know, one-on-one in close range battle, then David, he didn't stand any chance. One strike from Goliath's sword would have sent David down you know, to the ground, ultimately killing him. But 
David wasn't going to be having that fight. It, it, essentially, Goliath brought a sword to a gunfight because that projectile, Malcolm Gladwell goes on to talk about how some scientists broke down the velocity that someone slinging a stone can can throw it, and it's equivalent, uh, pretty much a, a bullet. So Goliath brought a sword to a gunfight. So that was a, a cool way to talk and show how advantages can be disadvantages and disadvantages can be advantages. One other last one example that I'm going to highlight that Malcolm Gladwell wrote about in his book. Um, he explores how there was a lawyer and he developed exceptional listening skills as a compensate, compensatory strategy for his reading, difficulty, uh, reading difficulties. Now this lawyer, he realized that his dyslexia allowed him to focus intensely on verbal communication and interpret spoken words with great precision. This skill became invaluable in his legal career as a attorney. So once again, we have a child with a learning disability, quote unquote, learning disability. And he had dyslexia, which made it hard for him to read. So meanwhile, while his reading capabilities lacked, he, as a byproduct of that, his other skills had to develop. He developed exceptional listening skills and, let's see, listening skills and he focused intensely on verbal communication and to interpret spoken words with great precision. While he wasn't able to read too good, he was able to do those other skills and that helped him out to, and he was able to, to become a successful lawyer. True story on that guy. Ultimately, in this book, it was a fascinating listen. Now, I, I did read this, or I did listen to this in audiobook format. And yeah, Malcolm Gladwell, what a, a, a bright, sophisticated thinker. So let's see. Uh, in this book, he emphasizes that true strength lies not in avoiding challenges, but in confronting and overcoming them. Gladwell shares numerous stories of individuals who thrived in the face of adversity, illustrating how setbacks can become catalysts for success. From dyslexic entrepreneurs to underdog sports teams, the book reveals that unconventional paths and alternative approaches often lead to remarkable achievements. In this context, Gladwell urges us to reconsider our, our perception of advantages and disadvantages. He encourages us to embrace our unique circumstances, viewing them not as hindrances, but as opportunities for growth and innovation. The book's conclusion inspires readers to reframe their understanding of strength and weaknesses, recognizing that resilience, adaptability, and the ability to think differently can be powerful tools in overcoming obstacles and achieving personal triumphs. Ultimately, this book it delivers a message of hope and empowerment, reminding us that within the challenges we face lies the potential to gather strength 
rise above expectations, and create extraordinary outcomes. If you made it to the end of this podcast, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow. You can connect with me on Instagram at Ruben underscore Quavis. Until next time, it's onward, always onward.